0: You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Tour de France. Today, we're in La Reims.
1: Where are we, François?
0: We're in Arudi, It's a little place uh, not far from La Reims. Well, not far in principle, but as uh, often in the Pyrenees, it took us about, what, well, nearly two hours to cover 7Ks. But yeah, here we are in Arudi, a small place with a nice little fountain uh, on the square and a church, obviously. Uh, and well, we're here because I, I I have a sign-in session for a book I wrote two years ago called Le Tour Le Dico. That's basically the Tour de France dictionary. And uh, there's a little bookshop, which is quite surprising in such a small place. Uh, and they organize a kind of a yeah signing session with a, another journalist who wrote a book about uh, yeah it's a, a very interesting book. On uh, in 1942, the Germans forced the French uh, a French newspaper to organize a kind of. Tour de France, which was the Circuit de France, the Circuit of France, Uh, it failed out miserably. They had planned to do seven stages and they only did four. But yeah, so we're going to have a little chat with the would-be readers, sign a few books, drink a little bit
1: of wine and eat cheese from the area. Sounds lovely. Well, Mitch and I ought to get on with the business of recording the podcast because it was an absolute humdinger of a stage. So, Francois, while you go and talk to your adoring fans and we recover from your penultimate Tour de France traffic jam, because there's bound to be one tomorrow as well, isn't there? We, Mitch and I will go and record the podcast. You ready, Mitch?
2: Ready to go, Francois. Get those books signed and get back here for the last part.
0: It's time for the tale of the attack.
1: Well, the tour finally reached the Pyrenees. I say finally, it's only day five. feels like quite a premature entry into the Pyrenees. And we saw an amazing stage, Mm. didn't we? 162 kilometres from Po to Laurence. I'm just about getting the hang of how to pronounce the Finnish town name. So you think. Well, I know, probably probably mangled it again. Good job, Francois, not here at the moment to correct me. A 36-rider brake went clear and it had some big hitters in it. And at the end... Jai Hindley, the 2022 Giro champion, won the stage and took the yellow jersey, the first Australian in the Maya Jean since Rowan Dennis in Utrecht in 2015. But that really barely begins to tell the story of this incredible stage, because Hindley was one of three Bora-Hansgrohe riders in that 36-man break. The others were Emmanuel Buchmann and Patrick Conrad. And there were some big, big names in that group, weren't there? Big representation from Jumbo Visma and Team UAE Emirates because Jumbo had Wout van Aert. Tish Benut and Christophe Laporte and UAE had Felix Groschartner and Marc Soler. AG2R had three guys in there, including Felix Gall, a recent winner of a stage of the Tour de Suisse. And then some of the other names, Giulio Ciccone of Lidl Trek, he was in there. Danny Martinez and Omar Freyley of Ineos. Julian Alaphilippe of Sudal Quickstep, Rigoberto Uran and Esteban Chavez of EF Education Easy Post. Too many to mention, really. But they got four minutes up mm. the road. Uh, meaning that Wout van Aert spent most of the afternoon as virtual race leader on the road. And I did wonder for a little while whether he might get over the Marie Blanc and perhaps be in with a shout of taking the race lead. But it didn't pan out that way at all. When we got to the top of the Col de Soudé, Felix Gall got the points. So he's now in the King of the Mountains lead. Uh, Nielsen Paulus not in the break, of course. Then the final 50 kilometres was where the stage really shook down. 53 to go. Chris Nylans of the Israel team went away on his own and then on the next climb which was only a third category climb the Col de Cher, but trickier than I think perhaps I gave it credit for from the last time the tour was here uh, Van Art and Alaphilippe went clear and then they eventually joined up with Nylans and they were caught Finally and on the Marie Blanc, Hindley and Gall went away. And at this point the gap to the GC favourites and the yellow jersey Adam Yates was still two and a half minutes. So Hindley was basically riding into yellow and as they came to the top of the climb, Hindley dropped Gaul 1.7 kilometers from the top, took the time bonus at the summit, importantly, and then descended to win the stage, 32 seconds ahead of Ciccone, Gal, and Buchmann but that really was only the battle for the stage in the yellow jersey because there was also a proper GC battle Jumbo Visma's set Kuss, set a really fast pace and off the back of that, Jonas Vingegaard attacked, well Kuss actually dragged away Vingegaard mm. and Pogacar and then when Vingegaard made that second acceleration Pogacar was unable to follow and well it was surprising wasn't it? We'll talk about that in the next part or a little bit later in the episode anyway. So the defending champion, Ringegaard, finished fifth on the stage, 34 seconds behind Hindley, but crucially a minute and four ahead of that Pogachar group. So Adam Yates has lost the yellow jersey to Hindley and Hindley is now 47 seconds ahead of Vingegaard with Ciccone third, a minute back. And then a little bit of a gap has opened up to Pogacar. Some of the other key riders to lose a bit of time, Roman Bardet and Michael Woods, who were 157 behind the stage winner. Peo Bilbao and Mikkelander of Bahrain, they were at 2.55. And Egan Bernal, who we saw struggling a bit on the Marie Blanc, he came in 3.21. I told you it was a breathless, breathtaking stage Mitch the tail of the attack is nearly at an end I reckon we're about 150 kilometers into it by now
2: no oh, it's too much to tell
1: Fabio Jacobson who was one of the crash victims yesterday he was last over the line in the Gruppetto, but safely inside the time limit the same can't be said for Jacopo Guanieri of Lotto Destiny or Luis Leon Sanchez of Astana because they didn't start this morning after sustaining injuries in yesterday's crashes so Good day for Felix Gull of AG2R. He's now in the King of the Mountains lead. No change in the green jersey. That's still Jasper Philipsen. And, and Pogacar, well, a little bit of consolation prize to be in the white jersey at the moment. And Wingergaard has taken that minute's advantage without even having to go through an uphill finish. You know, not really his terrain. And this is what Wingergaard said at the finish.
3: Yeah, so first of all the plan was to have a few guys in the break uh, or yeah one guy or two guys We ended up with three guys in the break to have a satellite rider more in some kind of defense actually because yeah We think that this is not the the perfect stage for me But yeah, then when they when they started the uh, Riding on the last climb uh, I had the feeling I, I had good legs. So then I I uh, Said to Seb that yeah, maybe he goes on the front and then uh, he did and uh, I decided to attack as well. We talked the scenario through, but we thought it would be really hard to do. It would have been even nicer if we had uh, one guy on top, of course, that's like the dream scenario, but uh, yeah, we also went super, super fast on the climb, and you cannot not expect uh, <laughs> the guys to, to be there on the top. I mean, I wanted to, to test him a bit, and uh, yeah, my legs were good, and I'm super happy with where I am. I mean, I'm, I'm super happy with taking a minute. That's a good uh, time gain for me, and uh, yeah. As I said, I'm super happy about it.
1: And what about the Slovenian, Pogacar? Well, something else has happened today which perhaps put you know his difficulties on the bike into a bit of perspective.
4: I mean, yeah, after the race was, uh, was pretty good, but then, uh, yeah, I'm more uh, sad to hear that uh, my girlfriend crashed today in Giro and uh, she maybe had concussion, so that's a bit more sad than, uh, I mean, a bit more... Uh,
3: yeah, sad news. Then losing 50 seconds to Jonas
0: one minute. So yeah, let's go day by day. The cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
1: Stephen Moon of Science in Sport is keen for people to pressure the UCI into helping to professionalise the administration of the sport in Sierra Leone. The
5: UCI sanctioned racing in Sierra Leone. So effectively the UCI are sanctioning something which is not to the benefit of cyclists at all. So I think my, um, certainly what I'm doing and and I know other people are doing and and what I would ask anyone to do is lobby the UCI and um, yeah, let's have a proactive culture in place to grow cycling in Sierra Leone. But the current setup is, uh, it's not geared up to help the riders at all.
1: Science in Sport support the Tour de Lunsar and the cycling podcast and you can check out their full range of energy products at scienceinsport.com Well Mitch, I need a sip of beer after that monologue I mean trying to sum up a stage like that is not all that easy because there was so much going on but we really have to focus, first of all, on the man of the day, Jai Hindley, someone you know well. I said the first Australian in yellow since Rowan Dennis, but the first Bora rider in yellow since Peter Sagan in 2018, I think.
2: Yeah, right. I didn't know that. That's big for the team. Um, really, really excited for him. You know, I recently interviewed him on my own podcast, but he's just, he, you got to listen to that episode. You know, it's, I know it's a shameless plug, but you got to hear, hear who he is. And this is something they always talk about on the team. The best thing about Jai is that he leads with that attitude he has with the team. That's why they love working for him. We heard about this in the Giro. The guys just love his attitude in the bus. Very cool, calm, collected, relaxed. And that's how he is. It's the same team here. I was speaking to Gasper at the start as well. And he, he just emphasised the fact that that's just Jai. He's very relaxed. So... It's not just the relaxed atmosphere. He's just—I don't know how to explain. He's just a really cool guy to be around. He's got this real cool,
1: calm aura. Um when you think back to the way he won the Giro d'Italia I mean he picked his moments perfectly through that race didn't he and well we were talking this morning at breakfast and on the way to the start what does Jai Hindley do because Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingergaard have already demonstrated in the Basque country that they are going to take lumps out of each other whenever there's the opportunity and for a rider like Hindley let's not Forget This is only his fifth day as a Tour de France rider. Yes, he's won the Giro, but the Tour de France is another level in terms of expectation and intensity and everything else that goes on around it. And he's racing these two incredible climbers. So the question was, would he race his own race and and take some losses today and say, well, that's not too bad. Or would he get drawn into the fireworks with Vingegaard and Pogacar? And in fact, it turned out completely the opposite. And he was there in the break, crucially with two teammates. I've talked a lot over the last few years about how Bora Hansgrohe have created this kind of carré magique, uh, Mm. the, the magic square. They always seem to go into Grand Tours with four really strong GC type riders. So they've always got options, and they've always got people to mark moves and get in breaks. And it struck me that that was what happened today. But As we found out, well, it wasn't the plan, was it? Because, Mitch, you spoke to Gasper. Enrico Gasparotto, a very fine rider in his own right back in the day, now a sports director at Bora Hansgrohe. And well, let's hear a little package that kind of tells the story of the day because this is Gasparotto at the start, Jai Hindley also talking at the start, and I think you can hear a little bit of nerves in his Mm. voice with the big day ahead of him. And then, well, the mood is completely different at the finish when you hear from Gasparotto again. I mean, he sounds like he's on cloud nine.
2: Enrico, Gasparotto, we're here at the first Big Mountain stage. Uh, the first real test, I guess. We're going to get to see what happens with the GC contenders. What's Jai's approach going to be coming into this stage?
4: Yeah, as it is uh, the first one, uh, obviously we could understand a little bit um, from the first stages in uh, Basque Country that Vingegaard and, uh, and Tadej are, um, are quite OK, quite right for this tour, I would say. And, uh, yeah, today we see on long climbs how it goes uh, you know not having a top mountain finish but a flat finish then also can be open to some uh, attacks from the second row riders Jai, i think uh, he showed quite a good legs on the first days he's feeling okay feeling all right and uh, yeah, i think today it's everybody's taking the day like uh, to see where they are compared to the competitors so yeah could be also that type of days where everybody is waiting, 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 and and we see, we can see only on the last climb, I would say.
2: And the idea there, from what I understand, is to follow as long as you can, and if you can go with the best, or just ride his own pace.
4: Uh, if you can follow, why not? I mean, uh, with the, the fight for the podium and for the win started already in Basque Country, and uh, every, day, every day is an opportunity to gain uh, some time. Uh, we don't want to think to lose, time uh, against our competitors, but if there is a chance to gain and Jai is feeling quite right, why not? Absolutely.
6: Jai, here we are, the Tour de France. How's it going to go today? I've been uh, pretty happy that it's been so far and uh, I haven't managed to lose so much time on the big GC favourites, so it's all cool. And uh, yeah, I think today will be like one of the first big tests in terms of the yellow jersey. I'm looking forward to it. I've had a look at the stage and I know what's coming. Not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But yeah, it's a tough one and uh, last climb is also really hard. So regardless, it's going to be a big fight up there. I'm also interested to see if the breakaway, it's a day for the breakaway or a day for the GC fight. But we'll see soon enough.
2: What about the big two when they start, you know, attacking each other what's your sort of plan going to be are you going to try and follow those guys
6: or just you know ride your pace Yeah, I mean I think I have to be more efficient and more conservative with my energy you know what I mean these guys are are super strong and they've showed that. And yeah, I think I just have to buy my time and uh, just wait for the right moment. Like, I just have to ride smart, basically. (laughs) That's the way it is.
4: Tell me about it. How'd the plan go? I mean, it was not planned to have Jai in that break. That's when we realized that we were ah, ah, Yes, and now, uh, actually, the good thing was that we had there strong riders plus Conrad plus Emu that did ride pretty solid, I would say, today. And that's, uh, you know, the fact at the end of the day, it's anyway a bike race, and you have to grab the opportunities if they are coming. And today arrived to us, I would say, and probably the, we were also in that game where UAE and Jumbo, they were just playing in between themselves. You have to grab this opportunity if you want to have wins and if you want to have a good days like it was today. Uh, Jai, is, um, the, the biggest talent that he has is, uh, is a really calm and easy, easygoing person and that helps a lot the GC leaders. I spent half of my career with Nibali and actually he's the same. Nibali is also a calm person, that's why I could want that many races, many big tours, because he could even sleep before the start in the bus. And Jai is actually more or less the same.
1: Mitch. We hear from the teams, the riders, the sports directors, how every team goes into every stage with a plan. They're going to execute the plan. So how do you explain something like today where they didn't have that plan and yet it worked out absolutely perfectly for Hindley?
2: My question is, why did they let Jai Hindley get in that break? You know, like this is for me, this is now, I'm very happy for Jai, don't get me wrong, but these teams, he's a Giro d'Italia winner. He is, you know, on paper there's this talk about he's the, the next the, the next one after the two, the third best. You know, that's questionable, but two, but he's definitely the top five guys here. You can't let those guys get in a breakaway like this, let alone with teammates. On such a stage. I think when I think of these two teams, Yumbo and UAE, they're just worried about each other so much. You know, it's almost like a excuse the language, a pissing contest, you know? <laughs> You know, who can do this, who can do that? And, like, they're not even worrying about all these other contenders.
1: It's almost like a, a slap in the face. Hey, there's other people in the race too. Listen, in Australia, that's not even swearing, is it? Let's face <laughs> it. Uh, the thing is, though, I think the thing that complicated it was that Yumbo Visma and UAE Emirates would have been pretty happy with the situation. They had numbers in there as but well. Why? Why, did they, why did they send guys in that break? I guess because we've seen Jumbo visma do this though so, haven't we think of all that work that Wout van Aert did for God on stages last year drawing things out making stages hard that getting that you know attritional element of the tour going as early as possible today was the perfect opportunity to do it the problem was when they looked around and thought Jai Hindley's in here surely that gap I guess was big already and there were enough people in there committed to ride let's not forget ag2r who we may talk about a bit later they had numbers in there they had a completely different um aim for today which was to get the polka dot jersey maybe have a chance of the stage win one out of two you know achieved by felix gal and then trek as well you know having a couple of Mm. couple of riders in there because they also had lopez in with ciccone and they were looking to kind of ghost off up the road so the problem i guess was once Hindley was in there, they were committed, and it was too late. And they probably wouldn't have been desperately unhappy with the firepower that was in that move. And I think they were probably thinking, well, it's between Wingergaard and Pogachar, really. Hindley is a threat, yes, but not a live threat. But now you look at the GC, he's in the jersey. He's a real live threat. And Morijn Zeman of Jumbo-Visma said last night, we cannot underestimate him. He's a Giro champion. We know what he can do.
2: He said that last night already. That's the thing. That's what I mean. Why is UAE putting two guys up there too? You know, get all the troops back, control this break. This is a question that I have. Speaking of Matt White around the buses at the end, it's something that he brought to my attention too. I'm not going to take all the credit for that. He just said, I just don't know what's going on here. These guys, um, why are they are putting guys in the break? Why are they not just controlling these things a little better? Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, we Australia profiteered off it. Um, Jai Hindley He's in a great position and he's, he's got some time too. So I think he's going to hang on to this jersey for a while. Oh, big call, big call. Is I it, mean,
1: Yeah, he could do. The thing he's got in his favour is he has got a strong team of climbers, mm. so he's not really going to be exposed for a good while yet. You know, he might come under a bit of pressure tomorrow on the climb to Cotere Cambasque, and then the Puy de Dom is another level beyond that on Sunday, but what a great position to be in. Bear in mind in the Giro, he was underestimated all the way through the race until literally the last weekend, wasn't he? Mm. And, well, now he's right there in the thick of the race and the other two well Vingergaard we'll talk about in the next part won't be so unhappy but it really introduces another element but tell me a bit more about the Jai Hindley you know
2: He's a guy who loves the tradition of cycling. He's one of, the, one of the new generation that understands, you know, because of his father too, he sort of, you know, he made him understand Eddie Merckx and the, and the culture of cycling, you know, and painted the picture for him. And I, I love that about Jai. So I feel like it is dying out. The young guys that come in and you ask them these questions like, Eddie who? Okay, that's an extreme example. But he really loves cycling for what it is, you know, the, the culture, the, you know, the tradition, and so that's what I love about, you know, and the Jira to tell you story is once he won the pink jersey, he took it, his own pink jersey, into the museum and donated it. This is a beautiful thing. I can't imagine anyone else, I wouldn't have even thought of that idea myself, you know. And I, I love that about him. So he really loves the whole story. Of cycling,
1: the history, the culture, the traditions of it was that the Madonna del Gisalo museum on the Il Lombardia route was that exactly? That one? Yeah, yeah. It was. yeah, great. I mean, again, having that connection with uh, with what the sport is all about, I think yeah, that does speak some say something uh, about a rider, especially a young rider who, well, let's face it. Um, You know, certainly wouldn't have been born when Eddie Merckx was racing or even Bernardino and Greg LeMond. So, uh, yeah, hats off to him. Where does this leave Bora Hansgrohe tomorrow, though? Do they now just sit tight with what they've got and and they'll have to defend the yellow jersey in a conventional way? Um, But does Hindley need to mark moves tomorrow? Or how do you see him riding over, well... Tomorrow's stage, and then on Sunday at Le Puy de Dom, assuming he keeps the jersey tomorrow.
2: Well, look, I think exactly what you said. They've got a strong team for the mountains, um, and I think they're going to, you know, take control of this. He has got a, a buffer, and I believe he can follow these guys. Okay, when they're when they're when they're exploding and they're doing their crazy things, maybe he won't have that final little bit. But we've seen it time and time again. If I have to go back and you know, Tom, Thomas Volkler. the Maillot Jaune does amazing things for the guys. And I'm, I can imagine, I could see it in the press conference, he was, he was almost brought to tears by one of the questions asked about his family on the sideline. He, his parents are here now. Wow. And it means, like to go back in that culture thing, it really does mean a lot to him. I know it means a lot to every rider, but I mean, I feel like if anyone's going to get that extra Maillard-Jean boost, Jai's going to be one of those guys. I think we're going to see an amazing couple of days ridden
1: from Jai and, and a Tour de France to follow. It certainly added another dimension to a Tour de France that did look after the two stages in the Basque Country like being a bit of a two-horse race. And we might be, well, once Vingegaard or Pogacar has opened a gap that's going to be difficult to close, we would then see quite defensive mm. racing. I feel like the whole Tour's been ripped up today. Like, just, you don't know. I mean, Ciccone now is in the mix. And Ciccone is a rider who I think doesn't care about anybody at all. He doesn't respect you know the hierarchy. Mm. He's out there up the road. Another real dangerous well, rider to let get time. We also saw that on the run-in. You know, we we had. And you know, we're gonna. I know we're gonna
2: talk about this later. But Vingegaard, he was looking for help on the run-in. Chaconi was in his wheel, going, you know, he's he's signalling to him, come on, roll through, help me. Of course, just trying to lure him in.
1: Chaconi's like, no way, <laughs> you ride this back yourself. I love that. Yeah. You know, he's just like, I don't care. Well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because at the finish, uh, Vingegaard got popped, didn't he? Slightly because uh, you know he just could the, the wheels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, kind of. Uh, again, that. I wonder sometimes the mentality of this kind of the, the, the defending champion and the previous winner whether they feel a bit like they, they should be a bit more honor amongst mm. men in a sense and actually there are riders who are prepared to you know have a go at them and, and take lumps out of them in the mountains and I think that bodes well for the rest of the race. <laughs> Kilometre Zero at the 2023 Tour de France is available for friends of the podcast subscribers. There's an archive of more than 100 special episodes with new ones released throughout the year. And an annual subscription costs about the same as buying a cup of coffee a month. If you want to, you can pay more. For the first time, you can also sign up with a monthly subscription. So if you just want to see what it's all about, that might be the best option for you. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and once you've subscribed, you'll get an email with instructions for how to add the feed to your favorite podcast app in just a few clicks. Support the Cycling Podcast by becoming a friend of the podcast. Well, as we heard at the beginning of the episode, Mitch, Jonas Vingegaard and the whole Jumbo Visma team were surprised that they gained time on... Tade Pogacar, because there wasn't an uphill finish in which to really uh, make gains. And Tade Pogacar, whether he knew during the stage, I suspect he probably wouldn't, but he certainly knew after the stage that his uh, girlfriend, Urska Ziggart, who rides for Jayco Alula and has been riding the Giro Donna crashed today and is suffering from concussion and we hope that she is okay of course but you know that adds another dimension to how Pagacar is going to be feeling this evening but UAE Team Emirates I didn't feel did too much wrong, they got two riders in the break which was fine Rafael Micah looked pretty strong when he needed to be, they were setting a good pace at various times on the climbs Adam Yates got dropped and was clearly going to lose the yellow jersey but then it all came back together again and it looked like Yates didn't really have the legs to kind of help Pagaccia out too much on the run in to try and close the gap, but that's a big loss, isn't it? A minute and four seconds is a big loss at this stage of the tour. It really is a big loss. It didn't look
2: like the old Pagaccia that we knew. Well, either either that, or let's not underestimate the job that Sepp Kuss did and also Jonas Vingard. They saw the chance and they went for the kill. They went for the jugular. It was it was an incredible pace. Um, it was really good to see. That fight happening, and I know it wasn't an uphill finish, but I sort of like that they really committed for it. You know, Jonas Vingegaard, he didn't, he wasn't scared of that, you know, whatever it was, 16, 18k from the top of that climb to the finish. He really went for it, committed, and yeah, okay, he wasn't getting the help from the other guys, but he went, I'm going to commit for this this gap, and he really did make the difference, actually, after the climb as well. It wasn't all on the climb. He made a big gap afterwards.
1: And I think it's also significant that Back in 2020, Tadej Pogacar won his first Tour de France stage Mm. over this exact finale with the the Marie Blanc and the the descent down into La Rance. Even worse that time than it was earlier in the episode. Pronunciation police will be after me. (laughs) Um, But it leaves Pogacar with real work to do now, doesn't it? And we know that he's fearless. We know that he's undercooked, perhaps. Perhaps Mm. today was evidence of that. But we also know that he probably has the capacity to, you know, improve over the course of the tour. It, it might be that he's just not quite at the level required today. But actually, you know, as the race goes on, he'll be able to ride himself in and be more of a threat to Vingegaard.
2: I think it also suits him weirdly in a way. This is the way Pagaces races. He's an aggressive, erratic style of rider. He's not your typical. You know, Jonas Vingegaard or even, you know, back in the day, a Chris Froome, who who likes to, you know, be controlled with his team, setting the pace. He likes to just do random stuff, go on random attacks and put out, you know, huge watts to go for sprints and things like that. So this almost put him in a position where he can race a bit more freely, I think. Um, maybe with, you know, okay, the spotlight's never going to be off him. I don't want to say that. But maybe they are going to focus on Jai Hindley for a little bit and is going to slip slip uh, not slip under the radar He's never going to happen that but he's got a bit more different angle let's say that and
1: that suits his style of racing that's a really good point you make Mitch because Tadej Pogacar came from behind sprung the surprise in 2020 didn't he and last year we saw when he was in the lead and looking good and all he really had to do was kind of sit tight and not crack on the Col de Granon he cracked and that was the crucial moment in last year's tour maybe being a little bit behind will play to his strength and give him that freedom because he's now got to do something he will want to try to test Wingergaard at the earliest opportunity you would think and he's got tomorrow or Sunday and well I think we're we're going to see them go hell for leather again against one another and that might play into Vingergaard's hands if Pogacar overplays his hand before he's ready. I mean, it's really brilliantly poised, isn't it?
2: Well, and also, you know who else's hand it plays into?
1: Jai Hindley. Of course.
2: These two are going to be worrying about each other the whole time. At the end of the day, Jai Hindley's got the jersey on his back.
1: What about some of the other riders then that are now looking good on the overall classification? I mean, we mentioned Ciccone earlier, Buchman there is obviously the number two on the Bora-Hansgrohe team, but that's a really handy card to play as well, isn't it? Having somebody fourth overall. Adam Yates is fading. Simon Yates is still hanging in there. Matthias Gelmoser of Lidl Trek was the other um, Trek rider in there uh, at the finish today. He wasn't in the break, but he's riding extremely well for a young rider. And and another young rider, Carlos Rodriguez, and then David Godou, who we were really surprised... Um, by having had a good week. They're the only riders now within two minutes of the yellow jersey, so it's really opened up a fair bit.
2: It really has. you know. And We're starting to see already in the first mountain stage, which is sort of what we wanted to see as well, is that this sort of sort out of who is going to be the players this year. Um, And this stage actually was better than I ever expected. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Is it going to be a bit more of a, I don't know, tame stage? I, I can't see it being as good as today, but, you know... Who knows with these guys now? They're crazy. They just seem to just keep racing every day.
1: It's never too late for the 11.01 Cappuccino. Get regular updates from the Cycling Podcast in your email inbox or the Substack app during the Tour de France. Go to thecyclingpodcast.substack.com to sign up. Well, Mitch, we've had a tricky old day today, haven't we, really? I mean, the traffic jam coming out of the Finnish town, coming into Arudi here, well, a 15-minute drive took us over an hour and a half. Francois has gone off to do his uh, book signing and talk and has not re-emerged. So, I mean, maybe this is his pre-retirement retirement. And a few people have asked, and I think it is an open house thing. It's going to be at Le Viscos Hotel and Restaurant in saint Savin, in the Pyrenees, about 15 kilometers away from the finish of tomorrow's stage. And uh, as far as I know, anyone who's in the area who wants to pop him for a drink and a little bite to eat, they're more than welcome to do so. I guess we'll be there about 8 o'clock tomorrow night, won't we, Mitch?
2: Well, anyone from Australia, I think there's a flight out of Melbourne tomorrow on the QF932. You can probably get across
1: just in time. (laughs) Ambitious. That's (laughs) ambitious. There are a couple of little things to wrap up um, this evening, Mitch. Jai Hindley had Rolf Aldag in the car. Now, Rolf is a really experienced sports director, of course, has been on the HTC Columbia team looking after sprinters back in the day, was very, very good at that. Running a GC operation is a different kettle of fish, isn't it? But here he is in the car, and I believe that gave Hindley quite a bit of um, confidence today.
2: Yeah, look, from what I understand, I was speaking to Gasparotto about this, you know, because just...
1: They concocted a really
2: cool plan in the Giro, which which ultimately led to his Giro d'Italia win. Um, that was a big part of it. So I, I sort of was like, "Hey, what's in the what's in the works here, Gasper?" And he said, "Well, no, actually, you know, one of the big things is Rolf, you know, being in the car." Um, and Jai, you know, alluded to that. They recon these stages, these first four stages. A couple in the Basque Country. A couple here. And having him in the car was a really big thing for him, the confidence that he was giving through the radio, having seen these stages, the confidence in their decisions that they were making on the roads that they'd reconned.
1: Especially today when what actually played out on the road was not part of the original plan at all, and then they had to kind of go with it, work out what to do, knowing that, okay, he was in a nice big break Hindley today, 36 Hmm. riders, there's a lot of room to kind of... Um, it's a little bit like riding in the peloton I guess on the climbs isn't it because you don't have to be spending a great deal of time on the front and once it settles into the rhythm basically going at the same pace well, as the peloton anyway no?
2: Well once these brakes get really big I'm, I'm going to go against you here is that once these brakes get really big they don't work that well unless you've right. got teammates committed to it because as we saw there were a lot of groups going off the front. I actually yeah. saw Jai a couple of times having to close across gaps. As soon as you wait for someone else, that group's got four or five guys here. They slip away and suddenly you're like, that group's got a minute. It. Yeah. It's very, very hard, these big groups. It's, it's quite annoying because everyone thinks there's enough people here. I'm going to sit on. And of course...
1: Yeah, and then people want to break it up and mm. you've got to be on the right side of the split. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, well... At the finish, Francois, he has been working today. He has been working today. We might give him an easy day for his final day tomorrow. But he spoke to Mauro Gianetti, who is Tadej Pogacar's uh, team boss at UAE Team Emirates. And well, you can hear the disappointment in his voice. Uh, we're we're all a bit of a jumble this evening podcast, aren't we? We're trying to put together the pieces of a of a jigsaw without the you know without the box, so we can't really see what the pattern is yet, can we? But this is Mauro Gianetti at the finish with Maro
0: Janetti well what was the key today was it the form the level of form between Tadej and Jonas
7: we see that uh, between uh, Jonas and Tadej is still difference we was hoping that uh, this difference was not so big at the beginning of the year, the first two stage the reaction uh, of Tadej was very well but probably in the long climb we see still some some difference uh, Jonas have had a, a very good approach to the to the to the tour with an impressive uh, race in the uh, Dauphine so we knew it. It, it, it will be in, in very good shape at the beginning of this tour. It was important to be in good shape at the, at the beginning of the tour, actually, because after five days we are already in the Pyrenees. Uh, we do everything what is what was possible to do with today to be ready, without force too much. So now the hope is uh, is in progression. It can it can progress in the next in the next two weeks. So, yeah, the plan at the beginning was to, to avoid losing too much time in the
0: first week and to see today progress to, towards the, the third week?
7: Yeah, that, that was the plan and uh, we have the chance to take some bonification in the first, in the first two days. And today, fortunately, we, have, uh, this, uh, we, we take a deep time because so we're still in a, in a, in a, in a range of uh, difference between being not so big. But Vingegaard today was very impressive.
0: Yeah, what, was what did you think of Jonas today? His attack was really, really
7: impressive. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. That's uh, very impressive. He laid it also very, very good stage. I think now he has the jersey. He won the Giro, so he's a big contender. Uh, wow, it will be a nice nice Tour the France. Tomorrow, what to expect? Tomorrow is a big mountain stage again. And uh, it depends uh, the lakes of everybody. Today, the first mountain stage. Was very hard for everybody, uh, and I think tomorrow that's is important now recover and think uh, uh, in positive uh, to, to to be ready for tomorrow.
2: On tour with Luke
0: Durbridge.
2: Here we are, Durbo, the first day in the mountains.
5: Uh oh, just tell me about the news, man. I just heard Jai Hindley won, and it's just I need the yellow jersey, like it's just incredible. Like, it's so exciting like what a man what a man
2: why is it so happy for you what's your
5: connection to Jai oh Jai's from my club back home and uh, grew up with him he's a tiny we call got baby Jai and then we'd seen him win the Giro it was awesome but uh, his first tour to France I saw his parents on the side of the road had a good chat with them this morning so yeah Everyone, everyone back home would be going apeshit. So, yeah, good on you, Jai. I'll send him a message later. How was it out there? Give us some perspective on what that win was because tell us about the terrain. Uh, the start was brutal, really, really hard. Lumpy, up and down. Um, but then, yeah, and then it... Uh, Jai did well to slip in that group and then uh, UAE on the back foot pretty much from, from then on. They chased pretty hard and then, uh, yeah, we, we sort of helped Simon up into the climb and then we... Parked up and uh, went back for Dylan and then, uh, yeah, rode with Dylan for the rest of the day.
2: All right, we're here in the mountains. Thanks, Turbo. Get in the bus and have a shower.
5: Thanks, bro.
1: Well, I think you could hear there from your good friend Luke Durbridge just what Jai Hindley's stage win in the yellow jersey means for Australian cycling. It's a big, big deal, isn't it? I know Cadell Evans won the tour. There's been loads of stage wins. Robbie and uh, I think 12 stage wins. Uh, Caleb Ewan's won stages. There have been breakaways. There have been uh, Simon Gerrans in the yellow jersey 10 years ago. Um, Rowan Dennis, of course. But this is a big deal because... Hindley is a rider who you could imagine being on the podium in Paris quite easily.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Those scenarios are different. Um, nothing against you know, Gero wearing the jersey or you know Rowan wearing the jersey. They were great moments, but there was... I think they would be happy to say, them. we are never going to be able to win this thing overall. I think we had this expectation of Jai coming in. The only other Grand Tour winner from Australia, can he do it at the Tour? And now he's wearing the
1: jersey. So it's... Um, It's exciting. Well, I think we should look back at yesterday's dinner because as we speak now, it's quarter past nine. The drizzle is coming down. You know, the time cut in France for a restaurant is nine o'clock sharp. We're we're in trouble tonight, I think, Mitch. But last night, we had a great meal. L'étape
0: de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner.
1: What did you make of your first experience of Yorkshire pudding, Mitch? (laughs) We had an English meal last night. They even had real ale there. It was—I had just an
2: ale. It was a flat beer. If anyone doesn't know that in Australia, very flat, Um, but in a good way. It was quite underwhelming, have to admit. I
1: liked it. (laughs) Then there was a Yorkshire pudding and Scotch eggs. Yes, yes, Scotch egg for starter roast beef in New yorkshire pudding and gravy for main course and but we well, weren't
2: we weren't at an english pub or anything it was it was a french restaurant with an english guy who owned it
1: well it, it was called le roast beef mm. and le roast beef is the french nickname for the for the Brits they call right. it they I call didn't know that. the roast beef so um, <laughs> you call us the Poms they call us the roast beef um, when any of you call me that I just say well I'm I'm, I'm Irish anyway yeah. I've got the get out of jail free card there whenever anyone wants to have a go at the Brits uh, it was a great uh, restaurant actually Francois selected it he, he found that it had some good reviews and it was owned by two British people as you say and I think they'll be cycling podcast listeners by now because mm. uh, they were very interested in the podcast and then we went on to have Our second consecutive game of darts, didn't we? And well, let's not run through the scores. But uh, I got I got off the mark. The King of Hearts. The King of (laughs) Hearts got off the mark. And then this morning, on our way to the start, you announced that you'd been into some kind of sports good shop. No, it was
2: it was an official
1: dart aficionado store unbelievable i'm not sure whether to believe this that's true you bought yourself some darts extraordinary stuff mitch uh bodes well for the rest of the tour uh you need to work on your technique though i mean you're you're pedaling in a cycling analogy it's like you're you've got your shoes on the wrong feet okay so you should throw my left hand i'll I'll give you you some tips next time we play (laughs) anyway tomorrow's stage what's on the menu well, tomorrow we've got a bit of a shorter stage, it's only
2: 144.9, so 145k. We're heading out from Tarb all the way across to Kotere Kambask. Thank you, Lionel. And look, there's a few category climbs around. We've got a Cat 3, a Cat 1, a Horse category, and a Category 1 to finish. We're going up the infamous Kolda Tour Malay tomorrow. That is in the middle of the stage at the 97km mark. There is a sprint early on at 50km, but I think that's just going to be absorbed by the breakaway. Could be a bit of a tough start. It's an uphill Category 3 at the 29km mark. This is going to be a tough stage, Up the first uphill finish of the Tour.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you say tough climbs. I mean, it's the, the Col d'Aspan, Col de Tourmalet double. I mean, it's legendary in the Tour de France, isn't it? And they're doing the Tourmalet from the La Mangie side. So, uh, well, we may see the, the the famous llama that lives in La Mangie. I think there must be more than one, but that Llama once blocked my path as I was trying to ride up the Tourmalet. It just wouldn't let me past I went on the left, it went on the left, I went on the right, it went on the right. It kind of hissed at me a bit and in the end I had to kind of like you know, creep past off the bike on the grass, get past the Llama that was eyeing me suspiciously before I could get to the top of the Tourmalet. The riders won't have to do that tomorrow in the Tour de France, fortunately.
2: It's the excuse for your slow Strava time up there, is it? Yeah, right.
1: Uh, Well, I'll take any excuse I can uh, just lastly let's hear from dan martin who is really an expert on the pyrenees isn't he he's won stages here before now working as part of the uh, aso organization on the tour for the first week or so and well this is what he had to say about tomorrow's stage up to quarter because he has actually raced that climb
8: i think this quite calculated the whole the whole route There's kind of there isn't those huge stages in the tour. It's more like we've got ten hard stages rather than five really hard. And that's where the cyclings has changed a little bit It's give more opportunity and more unpredictability to the route because it's not there isn't really a focal point. You kind of have to pick and choose where you attack. And and also I do think like other races, not naming names, what that won in Italy. They uh, I think we saw this year how a 5000 meter mountain stage doesn't really tend to have the best racing. It's like these, these shorter, more explosive stages where the riders arrive on the last climb more fresh. It means they can be more explosive and it's more about tactics rather than just endurance. So, yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think stages like we've seen in the first two days and I hope today and tomorrow will lead to really good racing.
1: And what about tomorrow? Because you are one of the... Well, I mean, lots of riders will have raced that last climb, but uh, it's not one that... That, that we're overly familiar with, is it? The one to Courteret-Cambas? No, I actually,
8: obviously it's a little bit vague in my memory now because it's, it's been 15 years since I did it. But uh, yeah, we actually did it as a mountain time trial in uh, the 2008 route de Sud. And I uh, I think I was fifth or sixth and then I went on to win the GC. So yeah, obviously the, the, the climb towards Courteret, everybody knows Aspen Tourmalet, really hard climbs themselves, but and it's also going to rain tomorrow as well, apparently, which could be make it even more interesting. But the uh, yeah, quarter day climb, quite a decent sized road, not too hard. There should be 25, 30 odd riders arrive at the bottom of Cambasque, which is 4k to go. But the road gets a lot smaller and steeper and normally it's a really bad road service. They've probably been the Tour de France, they might have resurfaced it, but we don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's super steep, irregular gradients, which suits attacking riding and tactical riding. And that's where we could see the duo of Yates and uh, Pogacar really take advantage of trying to isolate Vingegaard again but I think we saw a Dauphiné Vingegaard's incredibly strong in this type of climb as well so yeah I think it's going to be the first test to see if Pogacar has really got what it takes to win the Tour de France after his injury break and also whether Vingegaard is actually going to attack or not that's going to be the big question of the day
1: Well Mitch it really is dinner time let's hope they're still serving and they're not too grumpy about things let's hope Francois emerges from his book signing and talk I mean I could He was talking in French, but I knew he was telling a few familiar stories about his early days covering the Tour de France. And tomorrow will be, well, it'll be a kind of historic day. His last regular appearance on the Cycling Podcast Tour de France coverage he joined the team in 2017 we'll make a fuss of him tomorrow won't we we won't put him yeah. to work too much we'll, we'll let him sit, sit in his nest and enjoy the day but he will be on the podcast tomorrow and uh, as will we we'll, we'll be back tomorrow night thank you very much Mitch thank you hope you guys enjoy it
3: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney